special edition of Tennis.com's weekly podcast. It's the Australian Open special edition podcast, and here's your host, James Martin. That uh, heavy sigh you hear, and it's a very heavy one, is to my right. It's not to my left, Peter. To my right, it's Steve. He's uh, still weeping that Marin Silich didn't make it to the finals. Murray's there. Uh, welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. Uh, I'm James Martin with Steve Tigner and Pete Bodo. And guys, uh, aside from Silich and the uh, disappointment I'm sure that one of us is feeling, <laughs> we, have, we have great finals. I mean, at the beginning of the tournament, I don't think we could have asked for really more intriguing and more you know, exciting finals, Henan and Serena. And uh, Djokovic, excuse me, Djokovic, yeah, he's out uh, somewhere with indigestion. And Murray and Federer. Um, it's pretty much dream finals from my perspective. Let's tackle the women first. What do you guys think? We're looking at a very close matchup with the two of them. Uh, they haven't played um, in a slam for quite a while, but what are your first reactions? And then I'll uh, weigh in myself. I think um, it depends on which Justine shows up in this match. Earlier in the tournament, she struggled. She struggled with her serve, and she, you know, she... She kind of fought through a few close matches, but then in the semis, she really blitzed, uh, blitzed her way through that match, played her best tennis, played really aggressively. So I, I, I think it sort of depends on, on, on her. I think Serena will be, will be very solid. She, she always, or virtually always plays well in finals, rarely loses Grand Slam finals. I think it's kind of a fitness-type issue with Serena. I mean, she's got a lot of stuff to look around on that court there, including her bandages and stuff. That She's, uh, she's, she's more wrapped up than Queen Nefertiti, the, the mummy. So, you know, but look, I mean, how do you go against the woman who's got the best serve in a game and very close to the best return? I mean, it's a very, very tough choice, and if you saw how much Justine struggled with her serve at various times at his tournaments, you got to think that's a pretty good omen for Serena. Well, I think that's a good point with Serena is her fitness, and she even admitted this in the post-match after she beat Lina, was that she definitely was saving her, her energy on some points, and she, I thought she looked particularly vulnerable in that match, that semifinal match, when she was taken out wide. She sometimes wasn't even really making much of an effort to get things that were really dragging her into that double dally territory. Um, she raised her game in the tiebreakers, but I think there is a question there. And then on the serve side, of, so I think that's like Serena's major thing is her fitness, and can Justine move her around? I think for Justine, the key is going to be to take her out wide and make her do a lot of running. Maybe she has a chance. On the other hand, if you look at Justine and Pete with the serve you were saying, I was looking at the... The uh, stats and Henan served 23 aces in this tournament, but she's also hit 33 double faults, and that uh, she can't come in and start double faulting a ton against Serena. She's going to get clobbered. And that's an ongoing theme. It's not like she had one bad match serving. So you know, you, you, her serve is a big question mark. There's no question about it. And you know, serve is such an important shot, and so is the return. That it's it, you know she's gonna she's gonna have to do well on those two fronts if she's gonna win this match. I mean, do you guys think that Henan's gonna be able to move Serena around enough to really expose her? her fitness and the issues she's having with her leg and, and just, just that issue? Well, the one thing I would go back to in, in, in Hennon's favor, at least a little bit, is the three matches they played at Grand Slams two years ago uh, before Hennon took her break. Uh, yeah, Justine, but that was her career year, Justine, though, so you ought to do that. Aspect that is true. Out. Justine won all of them, though, all three of them. I think she only lost one set in those. That's so, right. Yep. You know, that she can play with Serena at this level. Um this will be the test of how far back she is. I mean, what she's done already is 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 very impressive. Made made it to the final of her first Grand Slam back, but now we'll see whether she's at that kind of two thousand level. There is another thing level. about Serena though that she's got. You know, uh, she she moves really really much better than she looks. You look at Serena, and there's a lot. You know, 
that you know, there's, a, there's a lot of woman there. And basically, you know, you, you think she kind of looks slow. She looks like, and she also doesn't look like she's really built to be fast, yet she actually gets to a lot of balls. And she's most dangerous when you open up that court for her because she's not afraid to go for a winner from anywhere. You could say the same for Justine, but Serena's got the power, you know, to hit on the run, hit a big sort of counter-punching winner. And, uh, on, you know, in a big picture, she, she gets to more balls than you think she should. I think, yeah. But I think you got to go back to that Lee Na match, though. When Lee Na took her wide, she wasn't doing what you're saying. She, do, she, wasn't, she was trying to hit harder, but she, wa- she didn't look the normal Serena. Yeah, she was resting for Justine. Serena is a mystery, though. <laughs> Not only the quickness, but, many the, levels. but yeah. the, uh, her ability to hit shots off balance, hit great shots off balance. I don't know if there's anybody else like that. I mean, there's, there's no one like Serena. I mean, I think we can make the case she's going for her 12th major title. Um, clearly the best player of her generation. I mean, she's could she be creeping up on, on Federer's 15 slams? Or maybe Federer ends with 16. But um, I think she's clearly the best player of the last decade. Is she going to go down as one of the greatest of all time? I mean, She's she also got 11, 11 double slams now with her sister, which is... I don't know what if we if we count that, but it is an impressive yeah, record as well. Federer quitting at sixteen, you know. And uh, <laughs> well, just on the women's side, though, I mean, is there anyone that's been better than Serena over the last since since what? Since Monica? Since Steffi? Well, since no, Steffi. but there's there's an important asterisk in this match too. I think, and you know, it's a little like you know, it's it's a pretty big moment for Serena to to win this match because if she wins this match and it says, all right, who cares about Justine and Kim? Sure, they left for a couple weeks, but big deal. They were second string anyway. And you know, does Justine had that great year in two? 2007, you can't take anything away from her. So, you know, you don't want to trash her too much. But right now, if Justine wins this match, then you, it almost throws the whole past two and a half, three years of WTA action into serious question and whether whether the right people were number one. People have doubted whether Safina and Jankovic deserve that number one ranking. Now, if Hendon wins this match, people might be saying, hey, you know what? Serena was lucky that Hendon wasn't around. So it's, it's kind of a, a good moment for Serena to make a statement. I think it's, all, it's always been true on the women's side that there's, there's just an elite group that, that comes back when, when it comes to the top when they want to. Uh, even Jennifer Capriati, when she, she left and she came back, she came back and won slams. Monica came back and won the Australian. Kim came back and won the, won the Open. Now Justine's back. It really shouldn't surprise anybody. There's, you know, there's always that top level, and, and Yankovic and Safino yeah, obviously aren't taking that. time off. Yeah, maybe that will be the new trend. And uh, the head-to-head for Serena and Hennon, Serena's won seven, Hennon six. So it's a close head-to-head. I think Steve makes a good point about the majors. The last time they did play, however, was Miami, right before Justine you know, took her hiatus, I guess we have to call it I now. Pretty much put her into that hiatus. Basically, Serena beat her. <laughs> yeah, it was 6-2-6, six, six, love. Just destroyed her. Then she disappears. I'm well, going with Serena in this match. I, I, I'm impressed with what Hennon's done. I would you know, like to see a close match. I hope it's a close match. Hope she moves Serena around, but... I'm not, I'm not betting against Serena. What do you guys... Uh, yeah, you take a good look at that hardcore record, and you've got to like Serena in this. I certainly do. I'm going to take Serena because I'm not sure, I'm not sure of how well Hennon will play, and I'm, I'm more sure that Serena will play well. You know, it'll be the biggest test for Hennon for sure. On the men's side, I think we can both or all conclude that the two informed players really made it to the finals for this, this tournament, Federer and Murray. They're both playing great tennis. Uh, no one's really talked about Federer too much. He's just kind of going along, doing his business as usual, winning and... And, and winning pretty handily in the last two matches after he dropped that set to Davidenko. He's, he's pretty much been doing whatever he wants on court, destroyed Sanga, and then, of course, Murray uh, is sitting here looking as good as he has in his entire career. Um, you know, this is the one where, you know, not, not new territory for Federer, but he's coming in against a guy who has a winning record against him, although he has beaten Murray uh, the last couple times they played. And uh, what do you guys say? I'm going with Murray in this. I, I think his whole game is is finally coming together. I think he's realizing his potential. I think he's combining that being aggressive, 
going for his serves, not giving a lot away of free points, playing great defense. I think he's turning into the complete package that we thought he was going to be two, three years ago. And with that mental edge of knowing he can beat Federer and has beaten Federer and that he's playing his best tennis of his career, I think that gives him a substantial uh, leg up in this final. Well, yeah, you know, I mean, you got to like that. I, I think Murray, you know, but I, but I think Murray could really benefit from, from something that from something that is, a, I think, a factor at this stage in Roger's career is that Murray could really be help himself if Roger has a senior moment here. And, you know, what I mean is that basically a lot of these players, when they get toward the, toward the finish line of their career, when they're down in the last couple of years, especially at the very end, you know, they're capable of playing great tennis on any given day, even for a couple of days in a row and stuff. But there's always this danger of having that, you know, kind of a letdown. It's not an emotional letdown or a men mental letdown, but just somehow, you know, it comes to that late stage in their career and these guys play that occasional match when they just aren't that tough. Roger shows, shows signs of that actually last year after the U.S. Open. You know, uh, so but you can't count that time of the year, can you? Well, no, you know, no, no, you, no. you can't count it for everything. But look, the fact of life is that there are days when these guys just don't show up when they get to a certain point in their careers. It would really help Murray if, if that were the you're case. You're thinking of those late Sampras U.S. Open finals? Well, those, but you know. Safin and Hewitt. And yeah, I think, but no, but I think they all have them. I think that Safin match, particularly with Sampras, was nothing you can do about that. But, but the players all have these moments. It happens. It's just really tough unless your career is really on the upward arc still. To, to string together those seven matches when you're totally focused. Now, maybe Roger had that, you know, that he, you know, he was in trouble with Davidenko there for a while. So, you know, maybe he gets that out of his system. But as a player gets a little later in, into his career, there are always those little inexplicable, gee, what happened? He was playing so great. What happened today? Those, those things happen. And if Roger has to be careful that doesn't happen would, to him. Would you say that the, the, his loss to, to Del Potro in the US Open final was one of those as a, as a senior moment? Or... Did you see that more as just Delpo was great? I'm just curious. Like that was that was kind of an I, I think that was more than anything a kind of a Roger arrogance moment, if that's the right word for it, because I think Roger felt he could beat Del Potro no matter what Del Potro brought to him, and Del Potro proved him wrong. But you know, and, and let's you know, Roger isn't that far along in his career. I don't think this is a major threat to him now. But at some point, that begins to kick in, and these guys perform to begin to perform a little more erratically and, and don't show up exactly when you think they're gonna show up. So. That's something to consider. It's funny. I was thinking the opposite uh, watching him play Sanga this morning. I was, th I was thinking back to his 2004 Australian Open, and I was trying to think of any difference in the last five years, and I couldn't. Federer was playing the same way with the, with the same confidence in, that he played in that tournament, which is one of the, the best tournaments he ever played. It, to me, it didn't look like he had lost anything. He was exactly the same player. He was even toying with Sanga the way he used to toy with people like Hewitt back in those days. It made me think the only reason that Federer hasn't been as dominant the last couple of years is that Nadal made himself for that period of time as good as Federer. I, I really can't see, as of right now, a slip from, from Roger. Which I mean, if there was a time for him to slip, and because I, 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 I lean more toward Pete, I, I have been wondering, like, when is he not going to have that extra gear or not have the, the will to kick into that extra gear? I just don't think match. we've seen it yet. We haven't. I mean, if there was a time that it would have happened, it, I thought it was going to be that Davidenko match down a set 3-1, you figure... Okay, I mean, obviously, Davidenko kind of handed it to him a little bit in this, that set, but there was a clear moment where if he was not going to have that, that will to, to win, it would have been there. I yeah, would well, those, these lapses aren't, aren't really rational. What I'm talking about isn't really a rational thing or a predictable thing. It's got nothing to do with a guy's style or anything like that. It just, it's, you know, so, some days as that, as that needle in your competitive tank begins to trend more toward the E than the F, you know, uh, you get those moments when you just, just have a bad day. It's something, you know, young guys don't have quite as much. And something that's a factor always for a guy who's nearing the end of his career. I'm not saying Rogers, you know, any anywhere close to.
closing the curtain. He's even said he wants to play in the Olympic Games. And, you know, this, this guy loves playing tennis. He could play, you know, he, he could be, you know, in retrospect, we might look back at this as the peak of his career. But, you know, age-wise, basically, certainly number of titles-wise, certainly some of the trends we've seen in the last couple couple of years really in this thing you know a little bit of you know losing a little bit of his nerve with Nadal and then he's you know these these later season and smaller tournament losses these these things add up and they, they kind of set you up for maybe having a lapse well, well what about the other side of it and Murray they these guys have only met one other s- slam that was of course the U.S. Open in 08 and that was a pretty easy match for Federer it was um you know two easy sets and one seven five set in the middle there uh I think this is a different Murray mentally I don't think he's going to get awed by the situation I think he's ready for it um, I think he's going to win it. I, I think it's going to be close, but I, I think he's got the right the right game plan. He'll be right helped. Mindset. He'll be helped by having lost by having been there for sure. Um, he, he was he was sort of overawed by the situation at the beginning of that match at the U.S. Open and never never totally got into it. He lost the first set quickly, so I don't think I don't think that'll be a problem. The one thing that makes me favor Federer is over the three out of five. Federer's going to Murray, even if he's playing more aggressively, he's going to let Federer play his game. Federer's going to get his shots in. And even if he isn't making them early, I think over the course of three out of five, he's going to, f- he's going to find his form and, and be able to, to create the way, he, the way he likes to. I think that, so you're not think really that sold on favors Federer. You're not sold on Murray's... His, 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 uh, in terms I've of seen his it against Nadal, Nadal, I mean, but Nadal lets you play aggressively. True. Well, but you, there's another factor here. I think is that you know Murray's only played two tiebreakers in this in, in this tournament. I think Federer's only played two, maybe uh, maybe only one himself. But that tells you that Murray's return game is particularly sharp, and that's that's one of his big assets. He's got a terrific return game. He's actually won more return games than Federer has, you know, against all opponents. So I think that's going to make him dangerous against Federer's serve. You know, I don't think Roger is that accustomed to having people challenge his serve the way Murray might because Federer's serve is used to set up the point. Federer, more than any other player near the top, I think uses that serve less as a, a preemptive weapon than, it, than as a way to get start the point on even terms because if a point starts on even terms, who's going to beat him? What, what, so, a, what also, what about Murray's serving? I mean, he's been serving great. I well, mean, he has 56 aces, and he only has nine double faults, one double fault in his last three matches. He's not giving free points away to anybody. Yeah, but you see that first match service, service percentage, 37% or 35%. So his, his serve has been a little bit up and down. He's only been over the 60% mark twice in his tournament, whereas Federer's own, you know, Federer has been over at 60 or over in every match but one, and in one of them he was in another one of those he was Let's at 59, Federer, so he was 59 or better. Federer is a good returner as well. He, he gets more balls back than a lot of guys. Well, he, he blocks that return. I think it'll be interesting to see. That's when, uh, when he does block those big Murray serves back. If Murray does go for his big first delivery, Federer just blocks it back. Is Murray going to you know, be, be aggressive and step into those returns that, that Federer just kind of floats back? He floats his returns back because he doesn't have to worry about people coming to net or attacking that ball as much. Is Murray going to take advantage of that? Is he going to come forward? Uh, I think that's the big question mark. And I think if he does that and he puts pressure on Federer in terms of Federer returning and then Murray jumps on Federer's return, that is a big key, I think, for Murray to, to keep the pressure on Federer and to win this match. One thing just from a spectator uh, spectating perspective is this, this is the match that we wanted. It's a new challenger for Federer. And, and also just for Murray, he, the guy was too good to, to spend his, you know, his career as a second-tier Grand Slam player. It's good to see him bring his game. He has too interesting a game, too, too good a game to, to, to languish like that, to not, to not take the next step in yeah, a, in a slam. You look at him and you think, boy, if any guy, if anybody's day has come, it's Andy Murray's. Yeah. Well, I get that sense. So let's let's make our picks, guys. I'm I'm going with Murray. 
I'm sticking with Murray. I picked him to win the tournament. You did, didn't you? Yeah. I'm going to take Federer, and, and, and I'm also looking forward to this match because I don't think these guys like each other that much. There's that Tigner kiss. Federer and Nadal. Right? Wait till his readers get it. Wait till his readers That's right. read about this. <laughs> kiss of death, yeah. I think <laughs> it was true for Djokovic. I think there's some truth to it. He started playing horribly as soon as I picked him. Federer fans, Federer fans are throwing themselves off bridges <laughs> as we speak. <laughs> and that's true. Djokovic, he, he no, this bombs is, gonna, out. This, this time I'm going to turn it around. This is a turnaround for me. Well, we'll see about that. And we will be back with another podcast uh, next Monday to wrap up the finals and to hand out our grades and to uh, review all that happened over these two weeks in Melbourne. And as always, keep your emails coming with questions. We are going to start answering questions uh, next week during our podcasts. And as always, with uh, Steve Tingler and Pete Bodo, I'm James Martin. We'll see you guys later. And don't forget to tell them the address, podcast at tennis.com. That's right, podcast at tennis.com. Cheers. <laughs> You've been enjoying tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to tennis.com.